everybody. Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. I don't know what number this is going to be because I don't know when this one is airing, but uh, we are going to be talking about another best picture, this one from 1977. The film is Annie Hall, the director, Woody Allen. The co-host, Josh Long. Hello. How you doing? Good. Uh, you know, I just, I just had the thought, like, we're in the 70s now in both the movies and the number of minisodes. Whoa. So I'm wondering if that's actually going to cross paths and we'll do... I think we might be able to make that happen. I think it will probably happen, yes. Probably right around 74. Yeah. Or 75. I don't know. It might not happen. Yeah. I have to throw another minisode in there, like a, an extra one or two, if you can, to make I'll sure see, it happens. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Oh, boy, how exciting. I know. I think it, it has to happen at one point, right? Like I was trying even to figure that out. One, I, we're one-off, basically. Yeah. This is Minisode 70. Uh, well, the last one was Minisode 70. Um, so this... This would be 71, I guess unless there's be, something uh, in between. Yeah, but I don't think there will be. So this is probably... Yeah, this is probably just 71. Yeah. Um, so if it's 71 and 77, do they do they converge or... They might have to be one off, but I was, I was trying to figure. Well, this is so boring. It's like a math discussion. I'm trying know, to figure out I, if I it has to happen. In a while. Yeah, but math oh, people, well. let us know. Oh, don't uh, uh, Josh. Uh, Josh at more than one lesson. Email us some math. Email Josh at more than one lesson dot com. Uh, my email just uh, for some reason is not working. Also, uh, will not accept math. That's true. So Woody Allen, Annie Hall. Winner, Best Picture, Director, Original Screenplay, and Actress for Diane Keaton. Uh, now, we've talked about this film already um, when we talk, when we did a mini-sode series on our uh, our Tops 10. That's true. Uh, it was in your Top 10. I don't remember the specific placement. Neither um, do I. If I recall, it was pretty low because I remember you said you didn't like it that much. <laughs> um but yeah, so among my top 10 movies of all time, this one is garbage. Yeah. I mean, if you want to look at it just like that, <laughs> it's the worst best winner. That's uh, it's the worst of the top 10. There we go. Um, so because you love this movie so much, why don't you marry it? All right. Um, although I don't know if, uh, if the, I could see the film having commitment issues. Um, <laughs> so, but since you love it so much, I'm mm-hmm. going to I'm going to hand this on over to you. All right. Tell us about Annie Hall, Josh. Wow I'm, me. I'm pretty, Sell me on this film. I'm pretty sure I've seen it before. Oh boy, all right. I mean, it's funny. Like if you like funny movies, you're probably going to like it. This is why I host this. See you guys later. You need you need a, an authoritative voice like I have. Josh, you dropped a piece of paper. Pick it up. I got it. See? That's <laughs> damaged Ugh. just like us right buddy just like everyone that's why we need jesus <laughs> <laughs> that paper needs jesus <laughs> oh this is getting wacky i might have uh i might be uh this might be a bit blasphemous or sacrilegious <laughs> when i say that uh, a piece of paper you dropped uh, needs jesus as the savior <laughs> maybe i'm minimizing or trivializing <laughs> maybe uh, christ's sacrifice maybe a anyway bit. uh annie hall go uh, I, I love this movie. Um, this is one of those ones that I feel like I can watch anytime. There's not a whole lot of movies like that, but there's a few movies that I'm like, I feel like anytime I could just sit down and be like, I'm going to watch all of Annie Hall. Cause it's, cause it's great. Um, 
I go back and forth on whether it's my favorite Woody Allen film. It might be. It um, would have to be. It's the only Woody Allen. I, I guess your so. highest ranking one. I guess it would have to be. Although there's a lot of others that I that I like as well. But um, I know you're a Curse of the Jade Scorpion guy. <laughs> have I seen that one? No, I have not seen that one. I saw that one. There's a there's a Isn't moment. Helen Hunt in that. Yes, it is not that good of a movie. But there's one moment that I love so much that it was a, it was a fun shorthand. I saw it with I saw the movie with David when we lived together in Chicago, and uh, this became a thing we would say from time to time just to make each other laugh. Uh, so in Curse of the Jade Scorpion, which is not the Woody Allen film we're talking about here, but <laughs> um, so his character is a uh, an investigator of some kind. I don't remember. I remember very little about the film. Um, and one of, and he has a guy who's sort of an informant, but also just like a guy that he likes. And the guy is a, uh, is I think, I think he's blind and I think he's British and I think he might be homeless. And so okay. he's, uh, and it's just such a beautiful line reading. So at one point the blind guy like is either handed something or find something again. I, I remember very little except the reading of this line. So he presents it to Woody Allen and Woody Allen says, what is this? And the guy very excited that he's able to help. He goes, it's a clue. He (laughs) says it with such anticipation and fun that uh, David and I burst out laughing. And uh, it's one of my favorite things to think about. It's a clue. (laughs) So you should see that just for that. For that that line. Maybe I can just find a a gif of that line and just. Let's hope so. Watch that over and over again. I have to assume someone somewhere also found that funny and just did a little eight second YouTube. Thing. There must That'd be great. Must be moving on. Sorry. Anyhow. Um, but yeah, I, I think one of the things that I like the most about this movie is it feels like it feels like it might be the most, uh, the most perfect combination of the two sides of Woody Allen being the wacky silly side of bananas and sleeper and the, sort of thoughtful comedic side of crimes and misdemeanors, uh, Hannah and her sisters, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, feel I guess like, they are, I guess they are. I feel like up until somewhat recently, I guess he did completely transition out of like the, the, for lack of a better term, weird stuff. Yeah. And he's done some of the stuff that he's done recently has gone a little bit more towards the wackier side, but not never so much as like, right you know, those early ones. And, um, I, th- I feel like Annie Hall has that same kind of loose grip on reality. Mm-hmm. Um, that can still allow for very silly comedic things like him pulling Marshall McLuhan from behind a, right. uh, pillar or something. I don't remember where he comes from, but, uh, but yeah, there's still these weird, silly things that can go back, uh, that, that he can do. And, um, I really like the way that that works and it might be the first time that he as a filmmaker starts to get really personal Mm. because I feel like this film is so much about him. Um, All of his films in a way are about what happens if you put the neurotic nebbish Woody Allen character in X, Y, or Z situation. Like what if you put him in the future? What if you put him in, uh, Russian novels from the 1800s. Um, it's, it, but before it was kind of about transposing himself into these, uh, situations that we already had a preconceived idea of. And this one is more, uh, 
him kind of examining his own problems with relationships, his right. own kind of foibles. And, and in some ways, I like I appreciate the specificity and the and the personal aspect of it. But if you want, in many ways, it, I feel like there's a universal quality to it. I feel like it's sort of about the foibles of relationships in general. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not just about him. I, I feel yeah. like he's using his personal experience and, and himself as a, uh, as a way of exploring how difficult it is to, to find good relationships and, uh, really kind of the specifics of losing one and coming to terms with right. the finality of that. Yeah. Um, which is really what, kind of the whole movie's about there's um, an almost sorry I, I i rewatched the movie somewhat recently hmm. and uh first time since i think i saw it in high school and hmm. of course i like it more now because i've had more life experience um but one thing that struck me as interesting is that there's a quality to the film and maybe i'm stretching a little bit it's not a film about grief but sometimes it feels like it the way in which he is dealing with like the way in which he's dealing with the end of a relationship feels not unlike the grieving process, like yeah, bargaining, uh, uh, you know, and then I forget what the, like anger and just, but then also, and uh, you know, I don't remember what the five steps are, but like, <laughs> you know, eventual acceptance. Yeah, um, totally. I think you could make a very interesting comparison between this film and the seventh seal. Uh, in, I'm in, sure he would love that. I, no, I know he would. And maybe it was, maybe it was that's on purpose. You know, he mm-hmm. was a huge Bergman fan. Um, but, uh, it kind of deals with in the same way, like where the seventh seal is death has come to meet you and you try and deal with it. Right. Um, this is, it starts out the movie with him saying that, that she left him. So that's, that's the whole movie is him dealing with Annie having left him. Um, I don't know. I feel like that's a, it's a similar, uh, exploration of yeah. dealing with this, this thing, that you, this bad thing that you have no control yeah. over. Like you said, of grief, yeah. a thing that you like has come uh, or even, even love a thing that you're invested in has ended. Mm-hmm. And so you have to try to figure out how your life can continue. And that to me is some of the best stuff in the film, Yeah, which is strange. Cause you know, their relationship is so interesting and, mm-hmm. and rings so true. I think yeah. um, that that stuff is very, is very engaging. Mm-hmm. But to me, the film really like kind of makes its mark with him coming to grips with what it means to have not, to not be in this relationship anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, both, you know, uh, a reflection, you know, him reflecting on what it actually was Mm -hmm. and how rare it was and what he can take from it now that he can't get it back and that sort of thing. So, and that all sounds very sad and there is a sadness to the film. Totally. Yeah. And, and I think that goes hand in hand with his kind of, uh, obsession with death, which is Mm -hmm. something we know about Woody Allen, the human, but also something that is part of this character. Yeah. Uh, when he's having her read the denial of death and all, no, 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 not, uh, is that the one? No, that's a different book. That's a different book. He's having him read. I know it's death in Venice is one of them, but I feel like there's another one about death. And she makes a comment about what's with these books about death. Um, but, uh, but yeah, something you were saying made me think of, 
Oh yeah. Talking about how, um, some dealing with something being over and, uh, you know, the film opens with him telling these jokes. Mm -hmm. And again, I think that goes back into the, the personal quality of it, that it's, he starts with just him as himself talking to the camera. Mm -hmm. He's, he's playing a character named Alvy singer, but it's a, a, you know, Jewish comedian in uh, modern day New York. Like it's him. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but he, he goes to that, uh, he tells that joke about the two old women complaining about like the, the food's so terrible here. And the other one says, I know. And it's such small portions. Yeah. And that kind of becomes a, a central metaphor, I think for the movie. And, and yeah, it's a little bit what you were talking about. The, uh, um, everything's so hard when it's happening. Yeah. Uh, and then when it's over, it, you realize how good it was. He, yeah. and he, the, the way he sort of like, after you see Annie leaves and he tries to recreate these other situations that he had, he like tries to recreate fun moments. Um, like there's, there's the part with the lobsters. You remember yeah. that one? It's so depressing. The second one is so depressing because yeah. the woman's just not interested at all. Yeah. And, uh, I think it forces him to realize like it wasn't that situation. It was that person. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can't, you can't recreate that. So I don't know that there's so many, uh, there's so many levels about relationships in this, but, uh, never in a, and this is the thing, one thing I think Woody Allen's good at is he never turns it into like a maudlin thing where, right. Oh, isn't this so sad that it's over or, uh, an overly, you know, could be maudlin in the, in the opposite direction by seeming overly happy. Right. And I don't feel like it goes to either one of those. It's, I feel like it, it it lands comfortably on this was a wonderful thing. I didn't understand it while it was wonderful. It never worked out. Probably was never going to work out, but that's okay. Yeah, it's it's a, it's such an organic film. Like it's like where it goes strange or surreal or whatever you want to say, it does so in such in a way that replicates the way the mind works. mm Hmm. Like when he when he pulls that who is it again? Marshall McLuhan. When he pulls him out, <laughs> he does it in a way that like w- the way we all wish we could do yeah. something. It's like <laughs> a big dramatic thing that is literally impossible to do. But boy, wouldn't it be amazing to do this right and, now? And impossible to refute. That's yeah, the best part about it. Um, um. And so it's. Uh, I heard what you were saying. You've totally misinterpreted my work. How you ever become a professor of anything is beyond me. And you know what's what's interesting to me is that uh, philosophically, I have a major problem with that scene. <laughs> just because you're just like, well, Marshall should have written it better. You know, <laughs> just uh, like that's and 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 that does definitely seem like the kind of thing that a that a filmmaker would do mm-hmm. um, is have a moment where you know he talks about like how frustrating it is to be an artist and put stuff out there and then have people completely get it wrong and Mm -hmm. how how you wish like he's pulling somebody else somebody else into this but he could just as easily be pulling woody allen out because somebody has completely misinterpreted woody allen's films yeah um but yeah and so it it does seem to come from a very real place in every possible sense Mm -hmm. but let me ask you this i have read 
I've read comments that Woody Allen himself was not happy with the film and that he hmm. did not stand by the film and that it did not turn out the way he wanted it to and was un- unhappy with the fact that it won Best Picture mm-hmm. um, and that it was like one of his most popular movies and is considered one of his best. Do you know anything about that? I haven't heard that. Um, that kind of would surprise me a little bit. Um, yes and no, because I feel like if that's true, that almost seems a little bit more like the shame of failure or sorry, shame of success Hmm. thing. Um, uh, because it's, it's a, I think it's a great movie. I think it's an unquestionably great movie. And I think any impulse that he might have to say it wasn't good enough Mm -hmm. is maybe psychologically a way to kind of, uh, deal with the accolades like yeah. movies like this don't win best picture like in uh independent comedies like right yeah, yeah. woody allen back then was not who woody allen is today like more yeah. nowadays it's a little more likely but like i'm trying to think of a comparison today i feel like that would be like if uh if like paul feig suddenly did a really personal movie and won an oscar for it or uh sure you know somebody who's known for silly comedies um, even, even someone who's known, like, I think he would definitely have considered himself an intellectual. And I think yeah. like some if of David his fans Wayne, would have, if David Wayne yeah. suddenly made like a really personal film that still had a silly quality to it, but was definitely personal yeah. and the Academy gave him right. picture director screenplay. I mean, I can see people loving it, uh, yeah. definitely, but for that kind of recognition is strange. Yeah. So I feel like th- it's possible that that might be his way of dealing with that. Um, his, him feeling not able to say, well, yes, I made a movie that was deserving of best picture. Yeah. Um, he may not have been able to comfortably say that. I mean, we know, we all know how neurotic he is. We see it in every one of his movies. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. It was something that I, that I, that struck me as interesting. And part of me just felt like, well, he has control over his movies. And while I understand that, like maybe you start shooting a movie and it just doesn't go the way you think it should have. And then it's like, well, let's just finish it oh, and move on to the next thing. Like that's not an unheard of idea. Yeah. But, uh, and there are so many directors who will always wish they could have changed something like that's part yeah. of the, the, that's part of the artistic process of eventually letting, taking your hands off of it. But yeah, I don't understand how, he, if it's true, I don't understand how, like, if he felt like, Oh, I'm, I'm very unhappy with this. Like it's, he has such a command of tone in the film. Like it it is done with such a sure hand that I don't understand what he could have a problem with. You know, it's, he has the right to have a problem with whatever, but I don't understand how, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and after, even if he wasn't happy with it, like there have been, I've talked, I've talked about it. Like there are episodes of, of more than one lesson that once I'm done recording, I'm like, I was not happy with that, but you know, they can't all be winners. Mm-hmm. Let's just put it out there and move on to an episode that maybe will be better. And then I have, I will have multiple people email me about that episode and yeah. say, Hey, that was really good. And then it's just like, all right, I guess, uh, maybe my, fi- maybe my, my mood was wrong at the time, but people still seem to get something out of it. So mm. I guess, I guess I'm wrong. And if Woody Allen did not like if if he did not like Annie Hall and then and then everyone says it's a masterpiece mm. i feel like he should say like huh hmm maybe i uh, maybe it turns out i'm right and i can't totally trust my own feelings <laughs> um 
Yeah. So, uh, and one thing that we haven't really talked about is, uh, you know, the, the pain care that, you know, we've talked about Alvy, but we haven't talked really much about Annie, mm-hmm. um, played by Diane, Diane Keaton in, in an Oscar winning role. Uh, it is. I, I do feel like if you were to go back and watch Annie Hall now, uh, that character and that performance has probably been a little bit tainted by who Diane Keaton has been since then. Mm-hmm. Um, she has sort of specialized in playing like floopy. Um, I'm sorry to use that word. It's the only one that I can think <laughs> of. Just kind of floopy and just... Uh, you know, giggly and, but also obviously intelligent, just a very Mm -hmm. specific type of character that she does great at. Um, but the, the difference in my opinion is that like, yeah, but they're never going to be written quite so well. Um, and Mm -hmm. there, and thus these, uh, little quirks might be, uh, virtually intolerable. Mm -hmm. Um, but in this, uh, both in how the character is written and, and how she's played, it would have been very easy given the nature of, what the story is um, to make the character perfect. Yeah. To make her into sort of the, what has become known as the manic pixie dream girl. Mm -hmm. Um, But she isn't, she's a real person. She has her own insecurities. Mm -hmm. Um, She has her own issues. She is not, yeah, she's not perfect. She has uh, problems. She brings baggage to a relationship and, and Diane Keaton plays it that way and plays her as, plays a character that could have seemed could have been over the top with quirks, but plays her as a, someone you genuinely feel like you could meet. Mm-hmm. At least I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think so. I think she's very, yeah, she's very personal. Very. And I, I think part, part of the, I guess like a central thing of that character is that she has to start as this very carefree, uh, person. That's one of the reasons that he's drawn to her so much mm-hmm. because she's something different than what he is. Um, and then she has to go through this transformation into becoming kind of more like him. Yeah. Uh, mostly because he's pressuring her into it. And then, uh, <laughs> there's an element in of him realizing that he doesn't like himself when he realizes that he doesn't like her as much when she is more like him. Right. Um, but she has to make that, uh, transformation, just to make that transformation seem real. And it isn't so much that she turns into him uh, as much as like he starts to influence her to become a certain type of person. And right. eventually that kind of gets out of his control too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know the, the changes that she go through, she goes through are very interesting because we're not supposed to like them, but we're not supposed to hate who she becomes either. Right. And I don't fi- feel like either one happens. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very balanced, nuanced character that feels very lived in. The arc is organic, um, and yeah, like often when when I talk about characters that I love or performances that I love, I tend to talk about the idea of sort of walking a tightrope, and if you're or you're kind of straddling a fence, and if you go too much to one side or the other, the character becomes very difficult to watch yeah. uh, for any number of reasons. Maybe they're not believable. Maybe they just are not likable or maybe they're too like, uh, you know, unnaturally likable or whatever. Um, and I think Annie is a character that just, uh, you know, 
both in how she's written and how she's how she's played uh really straddles the the fence there but um so uh we should uh move on the other best picture nominees 1977 was they were uh star wars Mm -hmm. episode four a new hope ah yes uh in case you know people like the entire star yeah all six films weird um the goodbye girl the turning point and julia I have seen Star Wars. I have seen The Goodbye Girl. I have seen part of Julia, but I did not get a chance to finish it, and I know nothing about The Turning Point. Have you seen any of these? I have seen Star Wars. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, Goodbye Girl is really good. Uh, you know, it was right in the heyday of Neil Simon. Mm. Um, it, I, it won Best Actor for Richard Dreyfuss. I do enjoy uh, Neil Simon a lot, so that's probably one I should seek out. Yeah, I think you I think you would actually like it. Um, uh what I saw of Julia, I liked, but I didn't. I didn't uh, finish it. Um, oh, hang on, neighbors back home. <laughs> uh, so, so I guess the qu- the big question here is for you, uh-huh. and I know your top ten. Yeah. Do you like Star Wars or Annie Hall more? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's hard to say because there, Star Wars has such a nostalgia for me that Annie mm-hmm. Hall is never going to be able to have. Like, yeah. that's the first movie that I can ever remember loving. Um, you know, when I was like six years old or whatever I was when I first saw it. So I don't know. It's hard to say because of that. Um, I've talked on the show before about all the reasons that I think Star Wars is a great movie, regardless of the the nostalgia factor and regard regardless of the fact that it's just become such a, a uh, cultural linchpin, but, uh, I don't know. I think they're, they're both films that I love. Um, as far as best picture material, yeah, it neither seems, of them are best picture. Neither material. of them really are, but it should have gone to Julia probably. Yeah, maybe, but really that's only because star Wars is too sci-fi. I think, um, I think in terms of the other things surrounding it, I could see it being a, uh, a best picture winner because it's got that epic quality to it. Yeah. Um, it's got, I mean, a lot of the, the big scenes are not so sci-fi that they seem like right goofy or, or just special effects laden. I mean, I feel like, well, and even beyond the sci-fi, there's a fantasy element and I right. feel like even those smaller scenes, the fantasy still asserts itself. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh, these characters may be talking, but they're talking about, and they may be talking about the force and, you know, Luke Skywalker's father and all that sort of thing. So it's like, okay, there may be a small thing, but he's talking to a guy named Obi-Wan Kenobi and there's robots there and there's a giant dog, uh, named Chewie. Like, it's just, I think, I mean, in a way like good for them for nominating it. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the way I approach it. These old stodgy uh academy people yeah and i think on on some level it's not that much more strange for something like this to get a best picture nomination as it is for lord of the rings too you know sure like i think i think they live in the same world they're popular for a lot of the same reasons and i think they achieve a lot of the same things yeah yeah and so so of these of these nominees and of course uh some of them i i have not seen but uh of these nominees, I'm I'm certainly fine with Annie Hall winning. Um, it was both that and Star Wars are achievements, uh, mm-hmm. very different kinds of achievements, but yeah. achievements nonetheless. Well, the, 
and both very effective in their own way. Yeah. Um, you you were going to go into the other releases. I was going to say something about that, but I'll let okay, you. Well, no, you go ahead then. Well, I, no, I was going to say something about the new release, the other releases. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So other 77, there are a lot of movies that, uh, we still watch now. They've still made an impact culturally. Um, and we're also still, uh, very much a product of their time. Mm-hmm. Um, Movies like Smokey and the Bandit, obviously best picture material, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I think an argument could be made that it should have been nominated and maybe even should have won. I can see that. Um, Saturday Night Fever, which is a better movie than it than anybody thinks it is. That's in my Netflix queue right now, so it's, I'm going to get to that soon. People think of the disco and they think of like, okay, that's just, and it's been parodied and the so BG's many times. Song, yeah. uh, but when you watch it, it's very, it's, it's not unlike, uh, the 1976 best picture Rocky. We all have an idea of what it is and we roll our eyes at it until you watch it and you realize, wow, this is actually really good. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the spy who loved me. Okay. That's a James Bond film. Uh, so I'm going to be jumping around here. Um, the duelists, which is, uh, Ridley Scott's film, uh, Eraserhead, New York, New York, uh, Stroichek. Yeah. Suspiria, which is a, a big uh, horror film. And then, I know you're going to roll your eyes, but it has made a big cultural impact. Uh, the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, mm. which took uh, three separate Winnie the Pooh short cartoons, put them together into one story. That's why that film is so episodic. Mm. Um, yeah, so uh, so looking at these, uh, you said you were going to make a, a point here. It's it's uh, Some of these, it's just so weird to think that they came out in the same year, because some of these are... are big movies but big in totally different ways like they don't seem like like they're not movies that you think of like oh that's a big movie of the 70s like you just think like oh that's that's a huge movie for one reason yeah. or the other. like Annie Hall is that Star Wars is that Close Encounters of the Third Kind I think is that uh, Strychek I think is that uh, Suspiria is Eraserhead like Nobody right. thinks, yeah, nobody thinks of that as the seventies. People don't no. think of that as Earth. <laughs> That's true. Eraserhead seems to like stand on its own so much, but uh, it's it's weird to think that all those things were happening at the same time. Yeah. Whereas, like, there's been some other years we go through and we're like, oh, this is a really eighties year, and like, you, oh sure, all of those you can see like clearly. I can see all these movies playing in the in the movie theater together. But yeah, um, to 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 think that there was a time when in a matter of weeks, you could go to see Star Wars, Annie Hall, Suspiria, Eraserhead. Yeah. Uh, that's, that seems unbelievable to me. Yeah, I guess uh, there, are, there are definitely years. Um, like, I think of 77 as a, as a good year and a, as a pivotal year. I think I tend to think of, that way, think of it that way because of Star Wars and Close Encounters. You, know, yeah. you had George Lucas and Steven Spielberg putting out big fantasy sci-fi movies mm-hmm. that uh close encounters i haven't seen in a long time but i remember loving it it's that, a, it's maybe one of his best films if not his uh like i think it's maybe a top three film it, for him it might be my favorite spielberg film i mean jaws is amazing so it's hard yeah. to say that that's not my favorite but like i feel like we don't talk i feel like nowadays people don't talk about close encounters as much as they should like it's it's I feel like it hasn't become as much of a thing in the cultural mindset, uh, you know, the collective consciousness as it was like 20 years ago. 
Well, it's like, not as I much remember, of an adventure. That's that, the thing. That's true, and maybe that's part of the reason. But going back and watching that, like it's uh, that's just working on so many levels. Like, yeah. N- not only the like the character, uh, like the character arc for mm. for Richard Dreyfuss's character, but um, the special effects going on in it. Mm. The uh, like. Sort you just love it because Truffaut's in it. it. Well, Truffaut's in it too. That that helps. <laughs> Bob Balaban's in it. Like that's that's a. I, I don't often know. think of the two in the same way. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a film. I I do think that uh, it is a bummer that people don't think of it. I think it's because because there is there is a sense of urgency to it, but it's an emotional urgency. It's not a plot urgency. I don't think mm-hmm. of it as a very plot heavy story, as opposed to. Jaws, Raiders, and then E.T., which would be another, like, visitor from another planet, but this one is a specific character, it deals with children, and it's just, Close Encounters is a Spielberg of a different, at a different age. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people have said that, um, spoilers, by the way, if nobody's seen Close Encounters, um, (laughs) a lot of people have said that modern Spielberg, which is basically E.T., on mm-hmm. um, would never have his main character leave his family. Yeah, uh, that that is b- because he got older and had a family, mm-hmm. and suddenly realized, oh my gosh, this it doesn't even matter if aliens come down and invite me to go with them. This is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Spielberg, you know, in the in the seventies was not a family man. He was a young guy who probably understood the importance of family, but was much more awestruck mm-hmm. by things. And uh, yeah, so it's it's not necessarily the Spielberg that it's, it's not the Spielberg we think of now. Yeah. The, the Jurassic park, uh, right. or the Schindler's list. Like it's this weird combination in a weird, in a way it's, I would say it's, it's his Annie hall, but it doesn't necessarily like, it doesn't, it's not a turning point, but it's this weird combination of thoughtful Spielberg of like the color purple and, mm-hmm. And then commercial Spielberg, like Jaws and E.T. And you yeah. put those together, and uh, I think people just don't really know what to do with it. Maybe. and People I, still like it. They still like it, and I, I love it because I think the... Uh, you were talking about the emotional urgency that it has, and I mm-hmm. feel like he directs that emotional urgency as if it had the same weight sure. as Jaws or as Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. You know, he, he's bringing that... Uh, He's bringing that sense of directing to a, a film that's about a much smaller story, yeah. and I, I I think the result's fantastic. Yeah, that's a film I need to watch again. I haven't seen it in a long time, and I feel like I would probably view it differently mm-hmm. than when I was a teenager, which is probably the last time I saw mm-hmm. it. Um, but yeah, so uh, so looking at these other seventy seven releases, I would say that Close Encounters is definitely one that I think probably should have been up for picture. Yeah. If it were, if I'm being honest, as much as I love Star Wars, as much as I love Annie Hall, um, I think Close Encounters is probably the best movie of that year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I also grew up with Star Wars. I had all the action figures. It was my favorite thing. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've moved away from it a little bit. I can still, there are things I love about it. In fact, I would say I still love it. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I just don't find it as uh, effective as I did when I was when I was younger. Whereas something like Close Encounters, I think 
again, even though I haven't seen it in a long time, just thinking about it, I find it more uh, invigorating um, as an idea. But uh, so, okay. So obviously uh, the, the question that I always ask at the end of one of these, which is if somebody who said they were going to watch Annie Hall, would you warn them away? The answer is for me is no. Mm. The answer for you is probably no. Yeah. Um, quite the opposite. In fact, uh, if somebody yeah. said, I haven't seen Annie Hall, we would say, go see it. Yeah. Seek it out. So uh, it is available on Netflix right now, everyone. Um, I don't think we've given any spoilers. Not that it's that kind of movie in the first place, but uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it, seek it out. And then, uh, and hey, if you haven't seen Star Wars, uh, watch that. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. You've seen Star Wars. What are all the kids talking about? But uh, oh, I did. I did click on this thing on Facebook. Somebody uh, they released like images of uh, the first uh, action figures to be associated with the Force Awakens. Oh, really? So I was looking at that and just thought, like, man. I remember those days <laughs> just being so excited about this. Like, you know, I did, I, I saw that, uh, when I was at Comic-Con, I saw that, um, they had these like bendy, like not action figures, but like these, these bendy, uh, figures of like the old Adam West Batman series. Oh, really? And they literally had everybody except the Riddler. <laughs> and oh, I was no. really angry, but then I saw that they, uh, they finally, you know, came to their senses and released that. So oh, I was like, good. oh, well, obviously uh, it's, it's an exciting day for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure like if I was still into Star Wars, cause there are people that still collect Star Wars oh, yeah. Yeah. and uh, I'm sure they'd be thrilled to see, uh, action figures of Kylo Ren. I think that's the, I think mm-hmm. that's the name of the character. Really? I just hope that there's an action figure of, uh, Max von Sydow. Cause I don't know if there ever has been before. And I, I think I might want to get that. It seems strange to me that no, because there are like hipster action figure companies that will uh-huh. make action figures of like movies that shouldn't have them. Right. It feels like, why haven't they done one of The Exorcist? Like it seems it's like possible they should. they have and we just don't know about That's it. That's true. It's n- admittedly, it's not a thing I search for very often. <laughs> but uh, Exorcist action figures. One of my, a, one of my Google, favorite things. Google alerts thing about that. I'll, I'll set one up. <laughs> um, one of my favorite things, there's a, uh, uh, a toy company called Reaction. And, I've seen uh, those ones, I think. They make like, those uh, like retro action yes, figures for I've movies seen that didn't of like, have them. Of like of uh, like Snake Plissken or something. Yes, yes. Yeah. And they did one of uh, uh, Alien in which they had mm. Ripley, Ash, Dallas, and the Alien. Um, they had Alien action figures though, didn't they? Maybe not for the first Alien, but for Aliens, I know they did. They did, but not at the time. Like ninety, yeah, like not until ninety two, ninety three. I remember them when I was a kid. They must have had them later. Hmm. No, that's what I'm saying. Like 92, 93. Oh, like that. It, oh yes. It yes, would have yes, been absolutely. around that time. Cause I remember like an action figure of the, uh, whatever's the thing she's in at the, the end. power of, loader. Yes. Yes. I had that. <laughs> yeah. I, Oh, it's, uh, I, I can't tell you like, uh, were you, I forget. Were you like a big toy person? Like, did you have action figures? And stuff? I had some, yeah, I had okay. star Wars. I had RoboCop action figures, which is a movie that I, I never would have been allowed to see for good reason as a child. Anyway, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, like I still, some of my fondest memories are when, you know, my family, we've got, we've gone to the mall and I run over to KB toy stores and, uh, and there was a, there'd be like a display of like, Oh, the latest action figures, mm-hmm. you know? And, and sometimes it was a thing that I'm like, well, wait, what? Cause I didn't, you know, there was no internet then you didn't know oh, what yeah, was you being just released. See a new one. Yeah. And so it's just like, cause I've been reading X-Men comics for a while mm-hmm. And then the very first line of X-Men action figures came out in 1990 Hmm. and I did not expect that. And I thought like, 
oh my gosh, there's a Wolverine, there's a Colossus, there's a Juggernaut, they're all there. And just, I, I lost my mind. And then, and then uh, a couple years later, I was in Toys R Us and I saw a line of aliens, mm-hmm. action figures, and my favorite Marine, Drake, was one of them. They only had five. They only had five Marines, but, one, but my favorite was one of them, which was very exciting. Um, but yeah, so... I'm interested to see like what uh, what kids like now. Yeah, it, I don't uh, know. I feel like they. I feel like action figures is not as as much of a thing as it was then. Like I feel like everything's digital now. They start playing with their iPads when they're two years old, and it just sticks with that forever. You sounded very old just now. Mm-hmm. See, I actually go the other way. I feel like if any movie or book or video game, literally anything, if there is even the slightest potential for toys, mm-hmm. they'll make them. Yeah, and but a lot of people who buy them are people who are our age. Now. Yes, that's true. Um, yeah, it's uh, every once in a while when I'm at Target, I'll walk down the the toy aisle and just see what there is to see. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's all the same stuff. They're just new. Yeah. There's like they did a reissue of a. I recognize there was a new movie, but like of a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh yeah. Um, you know, but they're still Transformers. They're still the Batman. They're still well. I mean, if you think there were there were alien figures coming out that long after the movie came out, or, or like RoboCop for that matter. Yeah, uh, I had RoboCop toys when, in probably like ninety three or did, something. There was like a that. RoboCop cartoon, by the way. That's true. So that's, that's true. probably what the action figures were. Yeah, maybe. But like, I, it was weird to me to think I I walked past a toy aisle the other day in in uh, Target and seeing Star Wars stuff there made me think. Has there just continuously been Star Wars toys since 1977? No, there hasn't. It was because like a, there was a from probably like 19 I'm going to say like 89 to like 97, 96. I don't remember there it, there wasn't much call for them. And then they did a reissue when the special editions were coming. Yeah, out. yeah, and that's which made like and I say reissue. It's not like they brought out old figures. They did re- new sculpts figures of, of all stuff. it. Yeah. They made Han Solo and Luke Skywalker look like super big and buff and just <laughs> look ridiculous. I had a bunch of those. Oh, did you? Yeah. When that series came out, like the, the ones in 96 or 97, I would have been like, what, 14 then? Yeah. 13, 14. So I, I bought a ton of those. Because you thought they'd be worth money? No, I just liked them. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. I, I probably stopped buying action figures. Well, I clearly started again, but I don't play with these. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I probably stopped when I was around probably 12 or 13. Mm. Um, and even, and even so pro- like 14, 15, I think I would still like walk down the aisle and be like, <laughs> Oh, these look pretty good. No, I don't know. It's like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, I wish I could go back and just play with action figures, but it'd be weird I mean, at age could. 33. Let's you and me, you and me play, uh, play like army men or something. All right. I'll be. I'll. We'll open all these Riddlers, and I'll be one. You can Just be the play other. Play with all of them. Make them fight. Uh, Riddler would never fight himself. Oh, he would fight the urge to leave a riddle. I'll say that. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, yeah. So sorry, everybody, for that little bit of nostalgia. But uh, when talking about Star Wars, what choice do you have? Uh, which I recognize we were supposed to be talking about Annie Hall. But anyway, <laughs> we did. We did. Um, there should be some Annie Hall action figures. I know. Hey, oh, I'd get one. I'd get an Alvy Singer action figure oh. <laughs> with action depression. <laughs> um, so, okay. Uh, listeners, you're welcome to join in the conversation on uh, morethanonelesson.com. You can also email me, Tyler, morethanonelesson.com or Josh, Josh, at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can follow Josh at the Josh Long at the Josh Long. Look, 
was a little slow on the uptake. Yeah, I was thinking on. about that Alvy Singer action figure. And what, what I'm, I'm going to Google that as soon sure. as I'm done because I'll bet there is one, and I'll bet he's got a lobster. See, I, oh, absolutely. <laughs> See, what I would love is, uh, yeah, sorry, listeners, we're not done. Um, <laughs> what I would love is because, like, anytime there's a Batman movie, they'll release you know action figures. But they won't have just one Batman action figure. They'll have Batman with sonar action or yeah. Batman, with, you know. Ice Batman. Yeah, exa- very much so. And so they'll have like six different Batman and then maybe like like two Jokers um, with different weapons and slightly different a slightly different paint job or something like that. I would like to see like the Alvy Singer, but, th- <laughs> but the stuff that they incorporate have nothing to do with the movie. It's just like, it's like new <laughs> Arctic Blast Alvy Singer. <laughs> You know, um, I thought that'd be awesome. Uh, you know, water attack, Alvy Singer. So that'd be Would awesome. I get him on like a hang glider or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. What? He's going so fast. Yeah. <laughs> Death from above. All right. So on that note, thanks everybody for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. We'll get you next time. Bye.